and welcome to Ipsa Dixit, a podcast on legal scholarship. I'm your host, Brian L. Fry, Spears Gilbert Professor of Law at the University of Kentucky College of Law. My guest is Nathan D. Richardson, Associate Professor of Law at the University of South Carolina School of Law. We will discuss his article, Deference is Dead, Long Live Chevron, which will be published in the Rutgers Law Review. So welcome to the show, Nathan. Thanks so much, Brian. It's great to be here with you today. I'm I'm looking forward to this. Um, I have I have to say I always have like admired but never fully understood administrative law, which <laughs> I, which I admittedly never even took as a law student, which is one of my most like egregious failings. Um, so I'm wondering, Nathan, can you help me out and like help out untold other? law students like me who really need to understand what the hell is going on here. And like you talked about Chevron deference in this paper. What does that mean? Yeah. So I, I like the way you put that. You said, you said you, you admired, but didn't understand the admin law. I, I teach admin law and I feel that way most of the time too. Uh, it can get pretty complicated, uh, but it's super important. But most of the law that affects what Americans do on a day-to-day basis is the law of regulatory agencies. And of course, as, as, as even someone that does, hasn't taken it knows, admin law is the law of how that law, that body of regulatory law is created and administered and reviewed in the courts. And in that, um, within admin law, probably the most famous and I believe still the most widely cited case is Chevron. Uh, Chevron, uh, what it does is determine the standard of review for questions of law uh, decided by agencies in the federal courts, which uh, that's probably a word salad. So let me break it down a little bit. So let's so uh, agencies get their powers from Congress. Congress writes a statute that says agencies do X, Y, Z. Congress sometimes accidentally, a lot of times uh, intentionally leaves gaps in those statutes for uh, agencies to fill. You know, uh, EPA go out and regulate air pollutants that harm public health and welfare. Well, which ones are those? EPA has got to figure it out. Uh, What Chevron says, and it's a Clean Air Act case, is that uh, if you sue an agency because you think its interpretation of a statute is wrong, then a court reviews the interpretation of that statute, that under certain circumstances, courts are supposed to defer to the agency's reading to to allow the agency's reading to prevail. That's in some tension with Marbury, which says, of course, that it is the the province of the judicial department to say what the law is. Chevron says there's at least some segment of cases in which the agency effectively can say what the law is. It famously has a two-step process. The the way Chevron works is first the court figures out if Congress has clearly spoken, is the statute here clear? If it is, then the case is over. If it's not, then the agency has some amount of deference to decide what the statute means. That's not unlimited. It has to be reasonable. Uh, But there's at least some slice of cases in theory is the way the, the way Chevron's usually understood where judges are forced to accept an agency interpretation that isn't the best one that in, in other words they think is wrong but still reasonable and that's small that sounds small and technical but it's actually quite radical and it and it is in some tension with Marbury at least that's the way it's taught what I say in the paper or where I end up going in the paper is that uh um, at least as it's currently interpreted in the Supreme Court and applied in the Supreme Court today, there's actually not that much difference going on anymore. Well, so I get the impression that kind of historically, politically, Chevron and the sort of concept driving 
Chevron was really important, really critical to understanding the modern administrative state. But you suggest in the paper that like it seems like something has changed or is in the process of changing and that sort of the Chevron paradigm is no longer dominant in the way that we might think or want to believe that it is. Am I understanding what's going on correctly? I, I think so. At least that's that's my read in the paper. Like there is extensive debate about Chevron. One may question whether we need another Chevron paper, and I think that's a fair question. And but 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 this paper is trying to figure out why there's so much fighting over Chevron, so much citation of Chevron, yet it doesn't seem to actually play that powerful of a role, at least in the Supreme Court. We've got uh, pretty loud claims that Chevron should be overturned, that it's a threat to the separation of powers, that it's an invitation to tyranny on the behalf of the executive or the the administrative state. We've got two or maybe three justices that think it should be overturned. And then we've got a whole other body of people, which I usually count myself among, that says, no, Chevron's really important, that the only way to functionally run government in a complex modern industrial society is to have some kind of administrative state, and that uh, allowing it, allowing agencies to fill at least some amount of gaps in their statutes is required for that, that administrative state to function. Um, so there's this huge debate over Chevron, like what role should it play there? How do we resolve this tension? Um, but the two sides agree on one thing, which is that Chevron is important. Um, and, you know, everyone from two L's who are taking ad- admin law, I teach my two L's that, you know, Chevron is the case in, around which the, the class pivots Everyone from them to, to two or three justices on the Supreme Court, or probably all the justices on the Supreme Court, think that Chevron is critical. And that there's some evidence for this. There's some really great work in particular that Kent Barnett and Christopher Walker have done recently where they look at Chevron in the lower courts and do some statistical analysis and show it really does shift outcomes. Agencies win a little bit, but, but significant, significantly more uh, when courts apply Chevron. But that seemed wrong to me. Um, now, I'm not litigating in the courts of appeals, so what do I know? But I couldn't think of a recent case that I knew well where Chevron had affected the outcome. And obviously didn't in the in the biggest cases that you think, the biggest admin law cases at the Supreme Court you think of, things like King v. v. Burwell about um, uh, Obamacare or Massachusetts versus EPA on climate and the Clean Air Act. Chevron was mentioned in those cases, but it either explicitly or implicitly didn't play any role in the, in the decision. So the paper's kind of an attempt to figure out why. And I look at the I look at a variety of cases, but if you look just at the cases decided since the 2015 term, so over the last five years, by my count, the majority cites Chevron 15 times, and only one of those cases does it affect the outcome. Um, in all of the other cases, uh, it has no effect at all that the agency was going to win anyway, or the agency was going to lose anyway. Mostly, the agency loses in those cases. And not only that, but there seems to be a decline over time in the number of cases in which Chevron's cited at all. So there's some other cases that are included in those 15. Some other scholars have said, for example, that Chevron seems to have faded away in immigration law entirely. And there's some other explicit exclusions. So if Chevron's so important, how is it only decides one case out of the last 15 at the Supreme Court and none of the really high profile ones? My answer is that it's not that important anymore. 
that it's declined in importance of the court. There's uh, there's a great quote from oral argument in a recent case, BNSF, where one of the lawyers mentioned Chevron like right at the end of his oral argument. It might, might be her. I'm actually not sure. Uh, but in any case, the lawyer mentions it and he or she says, you know, uh, this is a case that I hate to cite that I don't want to bring up because it causes more problems than it solves. It doesn't actually give agencies any deference. Well, why do you think Chevron is so controversial kind of in principle. I feel like to the extent that I understand it, I understand the controversy over Chevron as being primarily about a kind of really high level controversy about kind of deep principles and less about what it actually means in practice. And I kind of get the impression from your paper that whenever it comes up, it's sort of like a situation where somebody's itching to tell an agency no. Yeah, well, it, it can cut both ways. So it can be, it can be, uh, Chevron can be pro-regulatory or pro-deregulatory, but, but it is, at bottom, Chevron is about, and the debates about Chevron are, or debates concerning Chevron are about power. Where is power allocated? And the critics of Chevron are critics of largely uh, about administrative power. And you have a court today where a majority, not a majority of the court does not want to overturn Chevron. And in fact, some of them have not are not on record as being skeptical of it. Uh, Justice Scalia, uh, although he's not in the court anymore, obviously, is a good example of this. He's a long-term critic of administrative power, but not of Chevron. But nevertheless, I think the motivation to criticize Chevron is to reallocate power among the branches, to reduce the discretion that agencies have, usually in a, in a, in a deregulatory direction, but not always. Um, and those those battles are there despite the fact that Chevron has declined in importance. In fact, I think they're the cause of some of that decline in importance. Um, but there's a lot of noise about Chevron uh, in those administrative uh, in fights about administrative power that I don't think is that important anymore because Chevron's effectively dead. Um, there are other changes, both in individuals, some, some in individual cases and others in big doctrines like non-delegation, where I think it's possible you'll see more change here. But overturning Chevron, like its critics want to do, I don't think really shifts that power balance very much, which is part of why I think it's unlikely. It's just an unnecessary move at this point. I mean, I, I guess what I couldn't, the feeling I couldn't shake while reading the article was like, do we really need Chevron or is it kind of inevitable in some sense or some yeah. some version of it kind of inevitable? I think that's there's two different accounts here, and they're it's th- these are going to sound like they're opposite, but I don't think they are. I think they end up in the same space. One is that you don't need Chevron, and you never needed it. And Justice Stevens, Chevron's author, didn't think he was doing anything radical. Like he thought he was just restating pre-existing doctrine. And then for complex reasons that that I don't fully understand, um, but could speculate a little bit about, you're like it immediately gets picked up and run with, and and uh, members of the court, Justice Scalia among them, take it as a new doctrine that's got some clarity to it. But it may not really have changed that much. Pre-Chevron, age, or courts listened to agencies some of the time and didn't other times. And there's all kinds of complicated factors having to do with everything from text to power about that governed whether and when they did that. And then during Chevron, they were supposed to have a rule-based way to do it, but 
if they ever followed that rule, that, that framework, it wasn't for very long and it's completely eroded now. But that doesn't mean that courts never listen to agencies. It just means they don't follow the framework anymore. They listen to it, listen to agencies when they like what the agency says or when what the agency says hues uh, close to the judge's own reading of the statute, whether they like the policy outcome or not. And so maybe Chevron never shifted very much that Justice Stevens was right that he didn't change the doctrine very much. And there was only maybe a brief period in the late 80s or early 90s where it really had this rule-bound character. Um, but it was inevitable, perhaps, that it never would last that long. Um, in that sense, both, both its meaninglessness and its inevitability are two sides of the same coin. Well, one thing that struck me reading the paper as well was your observation that it seems like Chevron seems to come up and be contentious. And the very idea of deference seems to come up and be contentious when courts are dealing with problems that have like deep social significance and political resonance. Mm -hmm. And by implication, I couldn't help but kind of think that like, there's an awful lot of things that agencies do that no one pays any attention to and no one about Chevron deference. Like, what does that mean for thinking about, about agency law, about administrative law, about sort of thinking about power and, you know, whether we should care about whether and why we should care about this particular way of allocating power? Yeah, I think, I think one response to this is that it, that the level of significance of an agency decision has already been encoded into the level of deference agencies get, even if you take Chevron at face value, because this whole class of, quote, major questions have been taken out of Chevron's scope explicitly. King versus Burwell, the Obamacare case being the best example, the clearest example of this. And the, the edges of that doctrine are never clear. I, I had another paper a couple of years ago where I argued, argued the major question, uh, major questions doctrine has a lot of critics. It has, uh, you know, un unclear boundaries and it's not clear where it comes from or what its basis, basis is. But I wrote a paper defending it at length, um, kind of on the flip side of your argument here that like what it does is it takes these big, politi highly politicized or economically important cases out of Chevron scope so that Chevron can do its work on the interstitial cases below it. Um, I don't think that paper is right anymore because, as I've talked about already in this paper, like, Chevron doesn't do anything in the, in the regular cases either. So the extent that like there's this major questions fig leaf, like it's not protecting anything. Like the emperor never had any clothes to begin with, or at least doesn't anymore. Um, but but the major questions doctrine drives home your point. Now maybe what you have is a fallback position where like. Um, like, as I mentioned, uh, Barnett and Walker's paper earlier says that Chevron does still, still do some work in the district or, or in the courts of appeals and presumably done in the district courts, too. So maybe just like Chevron doesn't matter at the Supreme Court, but it like does matter in the lower courts. And these like kind of interstitial day to day things that agencies decide if they get challenged in courts at all are probably going to be resolved at the lower courts and not reach the Supreme Court. So maybe Chevron as a whole is a for thee, but not for me doctrine. And the Supreme Court rarely has things like that. I can't think of an example off the top of my head. And they're not supposed to say it, I think. But that may be a description of where we are now. Kind of that the maybe another way to put that is that the class of major questions cases is expanded to include pretty much everything that reaches the Supreme Court today. Well, I, I guess I can't I can't help but wonder, like, 
why we care about Chevron then? Like, why do we talk about it? And what kind of role do you think it plays in ultimately thinking about what we're trying to do in administrative law? I mean, I, I guess I can't help but feel like it's sort of like a, like a, a stand-in or a MacGuffin for something. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's right. I didn't think that before I wrote the paper, uh, but I think that's true now. I think Chevron, arguing about Chevron is a way of arguing about administrative power and fundamental questions about the structure of government. Do, is it legitimate for Congress to leave areas of substantial policy uncertainty to agencies where they make law? Um, uh, if the answer is yes, then it can't. Th- then courts can't take all that power back to themselves because they're even less democratic than the agencies are. But if the answer is no, then it's a deep responsibility of courts to stop that. Um, these And these are the same questions that come up when you talk about non-delegation, too. So if you think Chevron is necessary to protect that, then you should write a bunch of papers and make write a bunch of op-eds defending Chevron. And if you think that agency power is a threat to democracy or a threat to freedom, then you should argue against Chevron. But uh, but while that might've been true in the past, like Chevron's effectively dead at the Supreme court. So, you know, one, one side has already lost that battle. In other words, maybe not at the lower courts, but, but for the issues that reach the Supreme court, they have. So I would suggest to defenders of agency power that think it's necessary to solve problems from climate change to immigration, to healthcare, um, that, you either need to focus on reviving Chevron or you need to continue to play defense, but not against Chevron. You've lost there. You need to play defense on the non-delegation doctrine. Well, so Nathan, in in closing, I mean, I wonder what you think the sort of rhetoric around administrative law should look like. I mean, it seems like Chevron was a way of talking about agency power and about the relationship between the executive and the legislature that played an important role at one point in time. Can it play that role again, or do we need something different? I think you need a broader conversation about um, about the administrative state in popular politics that we haven't really had since the 1930s. Um, I think uh, Julian Metzger's work on this, on, uh, she has a, a, a great paper that suggests that like, today is a 1930s redux at the uh, at the Supreme Court. And I don't agree with everything in that article, but I think she's she's on to something uh, about what's going on at the Supreme Court and that the answer is a political one, not a legal one. That uh, And that Chevron isn't a very good shorthand for how to have that. Like you see sometimes, like sometimes in the controversy that's going on now about the, the nomination of Amy Comey Barrett, you see people, people with legal training who are like in the know that say like the real thing that's at risk here isn't Roe, it's Chevron. Or maybe it's in the climate folks I know well that like it's Massachusetts versus EPA. And I appreciate what they're trying to do there, but like – they're not going to overturn Chevron. It's already dead. Like we need to have, they're like so close and that like it's, they're flagging that it's important to have a high level national conversation about the role of the administrative state. But, uh, but Chevron isn't talking about Chevron's better than not talking about it at all, but it's not really that helpful because it allows you to declare victory if the Supreme court doesn't overturn Chevron. But that just, that just kind of uh, uh, sets in stone the decline in Chevron, the decline in administrative power that we've seen over the last 20 to 30 years. It's not really a victory at all. 
Well, Nathan, thanks so much for coming on the show. Uh, and I look forward to having you back to talk about some more of your other articles. And uh, hopefully you'll teach me uh, about administrative law, which I am sadly less than knowledgeable um, don't undersell yourself. Those are good questions that, that, that push my understanding of my own paper. So I really appreciate the chance to, to talk to you about it. I also heard Jack Berkowitz with someone here in the front. I see him backstage, but I haven't seen him from here. Give a hug to the Cast 
Hebron, 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 Hebron,